We know that building and running a company is hard work and that its success requires great leadership. Because we believe people can achieve incredible things, we want to shine a light on those people who are improving their organizations. Join us as Core Talent's Laura King invites presidents, CEOs, and executives to share their stories on how they have transformed their business and implemented unique strategies to ensure its success. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Here's your host, Laura King. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Today we are here with Tom Geyer. Tom is the CEO of Windsor Learning. Tom's passion for Windsor Learning was inspired by his experience as a student of Arlene Sunday, which he was struggling in the second grade. Mrs. Sunday helped him gain the skills to be a good student and ultimately an honors graduate from the University of Denver. In 1997, he started Windsor Learning to publish the Sunday system. Today, Windsor Learning has worked with over 3,000 school districts and trained over 46,000 educators in the Sunday system. Tom's main job at Windsor Learning is to find great people to perform critical functions within the company, show them potential that they have to impact the company, the growth of the organization, and give them the tools and support to meet that potential. Tom lives with his much better half, as he says, Brenda, in Minneapolis, and enjoys golf and biking when he's not at his desk. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We have to understand the the history of how Windsor came to be, because it's a great story. Can you begin by by sharing with our audience how Windsor came about? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as was stated, uh, I had a great tutor when I was a, I was a kid. Basically, I was a struggling student, dyslexic. Um, and got access to an awesome tutor named Arlene Sunday uh, when I was in second grade. She worked with me for about maybe 18 months, um, and they were excruciating months, but they were very productive. Turned me into a good student. The odds are not in your favor, right? I was going to school in St. Paul at one of the good uh, uh, preparatory schools, and I wouldn't have had a chance to get through there uh, without the help that Arlene gave me. And again, uh, dyslexia is a very common condition. Um, it's probably more widely known now, today, than it was when I was in second grade. Um, but um, we were lucky to find a woman named Arlene Sunday, and there's a longer story behind that, but that's we don't have time for that today. But when we found Arlene Sunday, the dyslexia... Is is a condition that is not. It doesn't affect IQ. There's a lot of people that have dyslexia that are very smart people, um, and you know, there's plenty of searches that you can do on the internet of successful people that are dyslexic. It really just affects your ability to be able to learn how to read, and dyslexics um, are just wired a little differently than others. Their brains are literally wired differently, and they need, just need different inputs to get the information in. Once it's in, once it's in 
uh, we're able to process. I'm able to read. I don't read as fast as my wife, who's a doctor, but I certainly um, read write just fine. And and um, as soon as Arlene was done with me, I was a I was an okay student. Um, so anyway, you asked kind of okay. So how how did this get started? Um, while I'm growing up, she's working. Arlene's working in schools and working uh, with kids. She basically started a, a very uh, successful consulting business that she would be working with three or four kids in that's in a school. And the leadership would always come to her and say, "Arlene, uh, you know these three kids or four kids that you're working with in a small group are are doing great. They're doing great, but I got 27 of them behind these other three or four." That are struggling with reading, and how do you, how do we fix those kids as well? So that's what she's doing while I'm growing up. And out of college, I joined my dad's company, and uh, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's got a new idea every about fifteen minutes, and start has started a number of different companies. And uh, he was starting a number of different companies when I got out of college. So he asked me to join his group, and I said, "Great." I'll join your group, but if I see something that I really want to do, will you help me get it started? And he said, of course. He, As a matter of fact, his dad did the same thing for him. So Arlene came to us when I was about six years out of college and said exactly the story that I just told you, that people are coming to her and saying, how, do I, how, how can you help me solve the problem of the 27 kids instead of the three or four kids? And uh, so we analyzed the market, and and we figured out that there were plenty of other companies. There were a number of other companies that were um, had developed programs that help kids learn how to read. There's a ton of those. Okay, Arlene Sunday was educated, and she became a national expert while I'm growing up in this methodology that she uh, that she was trained in. And let me just talk about that for just a second. I don't Perfect. want to make this. Yes. Too, I don't want to make this too long. But basically, um, she was trained in in a, in a in a method called the Orton Gillingham method, and Orton Gillingham has been around for ninety years. Developed by a neuro, neuro uh, a neurologist named Sam Orton and an educator named Anna Gillingham, and Sam Orton really was the one that um, coined the phrase dyslexia. Dyslexia is just Two Latin roots put together, difficulty, dis is difficulty, and language is lexia. So difficulty with, with language. They, they coined the phrase for that. And they developed a methodology. As, as I said earlier, Sam Orton figured out as a neurologist that the, the dyslexic's brain was wired differently. The physiology was different. So we need to find another way to get the information into a student's brain and beat a pathway to to the point where they can um, they can learn to read and process the written word because well, just us speaking that's naturally we learn that naturally that's been you know we've done that for millions of years the written word has only been around for what i don't know i'm going to make this up but 10,000 years and so our our ape brains are not as, as sophisticated. It's a learned thing. Interesting. It's a, it's a human invention that some people are good at and some people aren't. And so the dyslexic with the with our different brains 
just have difficulty. So we need another input. He, with Anna Gillingham, created a methodology of teaching reading that is multisensory. So you use not just the eyes and ears, which is the most common input, you know, in a classroom, right? Um, we also use the sense of touch. So if a student is learning the shape of, of a letter or learning the sound of that letter or wants to break it apart, they're probably tracing that letter or tracing a word that they don't recognize. And that's just one more input. That's the multisensory input, the kinesthetic input. Kinesthetic is just a fancy word for touch. Um, so she was trained in that method, the Orton-Gillingham method, and she was trained as a fellow. She is the, the first president of the Orton-Gillingham Academy, which trains fellows in Orton-Gillingham. And if you are a fellow in Orton-Gillingham, you've had a, like hundreds of hours of practicum. Practicum means someone that's an expert is watching you deliver the methodology to a student. Hundreds of hours, you are like an Orton-Gillingham ninja when you get done with this. So she was one of the original fellows. I, of course, am super lucky to have this, this person that has this expertise be my tutor when I was a kid. She, come, she goes through her whole career uh, while I'm growing up and comes back to us and says, here's what I want to do. I want to create a program that makes it so someone that doesn't have a lot of expertise can still be a highly effective tutor with the Orton-Gillingham method. But I also want to make it easy to use. So the origin of the company was that simple idea. It was, let's be true to Orton Gillingham. That was her job, right? Our job was, let's make it easy. So when we sat down, we, we spent about three years developing the first Sunday system, which now is a whole line of products, but our original Sunday system product that we released in 97. We started working on that in 94. So it took a number of iterations. It took a number of um, it took a number of different versions to re for us to really get it, it right. I feel like I'm going on and on here. But basically, we released the product. And I, the, the fun thing to say is that the origin of the company, the idea of being true to Orton Gillingham and making a, a product that anybody, you. I could go through the training, right, or use the product in order to... Laura, you, with a day of training and looking at the, the toolkit, I'm confident would be a good tutor with Orton-Gillingham. That's really what we so created. So it really allows me to cheat time, essentially, of, of getting thousands of hours of training. Yep. We've basically wow. taken... That's amazing. We've taken all of her expertise and put it in a box. So someone that, again, doesn't have a lot of training can still be a highly effective tutor. And what we're finding is that... Schools that are looking to implement Orton-Gillingham, again, back in 97, if I would have asked 100 educators in a room, do you know about Orton-Gillingham, maybe six of them would have raised their hand. Today, the awareness of the fact that Orton-Gillingham is a really effective program for dyslexic students, and by the way, a lot of our schools are not just using it for dyslexic students. The Orton-Gillingham method teaches a kid how to read, whether they've got a serious disability uh, with or dyslexia, or even if they just haven't gotten the information the way they really learn best. And so a dyslexic kid needs probably the repetition of a lot of concepts probably 50 times. I needed it 50 times. Some kids need it, need it like six or seven times, and they're like, oh, is that it? Is that how the, you, you break a word apart to recognize the individual pieces of the, of the word and blend it back together? Okay, got that. I'm good. 
great, fine. So it's not just schools that you know. It's, it's not we're we're not, we, we definitely get pigeonholed as the dyslexia solution, but there are other schools that are just using it to help their struggling student population. I feel like I'm all and, over the board and, here. And now you know we're, we're almost in 2020. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, you know, 23 years later, how if you to get in front of a room of again 100 educators, how many would recognize Thornton Gillingham? Yeah, I would say 60. Okay. Yeah, it's we're not at 100% saturation, but we're at about 60. And there are a number of good organizations like um, understood.org that is sending the message out there to parents and educators that, hey, look, there's a lot of kids that struggle with this. Um, and it's a high percentage. It's, well, this is it's great. 10 this to 15%. percent incredible background, I think, uh, that our listeners are you know, very, very interested in, in how something like this came to be. But um, what... What I'm curious about is, you know, obviously this this is an incredible product, um, but you've been on this journey, Tom, for right almost 23 years. Done every job. <laughs> so you've got some lessons uh, to to share, and not that you know you, you shared with me. You know, you're constantly still learning every day. You're very humble about that, but I think you know your your wisdom um, is certainly. Um, one that I've really enjoyed listening to, and so I'd love to hear, you know, from a, you know, from the CEO's uh, seat. But like you said, you've you've had every seat in the organization. Um, what are the three most important lessons that you've you've learned in running a company? Well, that's a that's a I know it's a, a, tall that's order, a great right? start. But uh, let me uh, let me see how well I can do here. I would say one of the most important things for me is. Having the guts to be the dumbest guy in the room, excuse me, the dumbest person in the room. I'll say that again. I think the most, one of the most important things is having the guts to be the dumbest person on your team. Find the people that will push you and challenge your ideas because you're going to have a lot of ideas. And if you're smart enough to be able to run a successful company, you're going to have a ton of ideas. And about three out of 10, are going to be good ideas. And that rest of the team really helps you filter that. Really makes it so if you've got people that are are smarter than you, and when I say dumbest, I'm not dumb. I know that I'm not dumb. I just want people that challenge me. And you get a bunch of yes people in the room, and then all 10 of your those seven dumb ideas that you have are going to get implemented. And it's just not going to create traction. What you do with the other people that can challenge you and say, hmm, that's not a very good idea, but what if we do this? What if we do this? Then those three ideas you have are really going to be um, executed and they're going to be executed even better than you thought they would be. So I guess, I mean, uh, that's a statement. And I guess I could give you a, a, a couple, uh, an example at least. Uh, when we really started to grow, uh, well, I'll say it this way. We really started to grow when I admitted to myself that others can sell better than I can. I was good enough at the marketing and the sales to get enough traction so we had a business that was a viable business. But um, really explosive growth happened when I got pros on my team that really knew how to run a sales team, know which tools that can keep everybody accountable, and um, could, could sell better than me. So that means the message got better. And I would, I, 
oh, well, I don't do this anymore, but I would dabble in a little bit of the sales because, oh, there's a lead that I really feel like, oh, I can make a connection with and they, and they have a dyslexic kid, so they, they want to work with me. And I was dabbling in that stuff. And they finally just had to say, Tom, stop. <laughs> Put their foot down, huh? Yeah, they really said, Tom, Tom we got this. We will take care of this. And, and it really, honestly, the hockey stick started at that point. Um, we've doubled in size since then. And I stick to what I'm good at. Coming up with new ideas, we've expanded our line significantly over the past two or three years. Added products that I think are going to, again, double the business. So that's the stuff that I'm good at. And just making, working with the marketing team to make the catalog the best it can be, making the website the best it can be, having all that stuff communicate to the customer. How many people are on your leadership team, out of curiosity? Uh, so we got uh, three people on the leadership team, and they are the strategy group. And we meet quarterly, and we um, have a facilitator that walks us through the whole process and in making good decisions and keeping our holding ourselves accountable for the the goals we make every quarter and every year. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, so that was I bet that's that's yes that's a really important one. Um, I would say. Um, the second one would be being disciplined about what your company's known for. So I know everybody talks about mission statements. No, that's not, it's not a mission statement. It's defining the purpose of your company and the niche you fill. And if you can define that really well, I'll give you an example. When we were going through that whole process, the facilitator was talking about that and he gave a couple examples and it was like, um, uh, what's the popcorn company, the Orville Redenbacher? Mm-hmm. Literally, what's their niche? It's popcorn. I know that sounds like basic, but we built the niche, and the niche for our company is, the purpose for our company is to make it so every student has the best chance to succeed. So we're going to help. The niche is we help educators execute Orton Gillingham and their schools. That's the niche. And that's what we want to know. That's what we want to be known for. And there's a big enough market to take advantage of that. So that when someone says Orton Gillingham, they think of you. Think of Windsor Learning. Yeah. If if today basically we want to be known as the organization that can help you scale Orton Gillingham quickly. Because if you've got a program where your teachers can get trained in a day to work with our stuff. We'll provide you with as much training and coaching after that first day of training as mm-hmm. that that person needs. Mm-hmm. Some teachers are going to be maybe trained in Orton Gillingham already, or they know something about it, or they've been trained in another program, and so they're familiar with it. They're just going to take it and run with it. Others might need a little bit more help. But that's not getting back to my my original point, is, is be focused on what you're known for. And... I'll just give you an example. So um, data-driven instruction was becoming sort of a, um, a, th- a thing, a trend in the uh-huh. education world. And this was you know, 2007, 2008. Um, a lot of schools were implementing uh, data-driven instruction. And since the early 2000s, we had worked with a number of clients that were sort of pioneers in this whole scene. And so a lot of our consultants had a lot of knowledge, working knowledge, field knowledge about how you take data and, and how you take that data to inform instruction. So we saw an opportunity to provide consulting around that data-driven instruction. And we started talking to clients about how we might do that. And it was, 
this whole service model, and it was a you know a series of intense day workshops with the clients and so on. And it was getting away from selling instructional toolkits and the great training that we do to make it so teachers can use that instructional materials to the best they can. And it was like, everybody got confused. Like, what? Are you guys consulting or are you a, a, an instructional toolkit selling machine? What? Which one are you? And it really got complicated. And we got away from talking to people. Your core about, focus, yeah, right? I mean, exactly. And this resonates, I think, with so many organizations that has a CEO that is much more of the visionary, that has the so many different ideas. And so they're, they want to run in all these different directions. But what, what it takes in order to scale is to do something well and do, uh, build efficiencies around that. As soon as we define that niche, which was helping schools implement Orton-Gillingham and scale it, well, that whole data-driven consulting was like, well, this is stupid. Let's yeah. not do this. It doesn't fit with our, our niche. Uh-huh. It's confusing clients about our niche. So we're great at that. And since then, as I said, we've started to build more tools to help schools implement Orton-Gillingham in their schools. Strengthen that core focus. Yep, Mm -hmm. and so we were able to focus in on, let's expand that line and not start going down another Mm -hmm. path into the weeds. Okay, so there's number two. Number three, every time, so the the, the message is don't give up. Um. Don't give up if you really believe in what you're doing. Because every time I talk to somebody that's a successful business owner that's gone from zero to something significant, there's always that, we can always bond over that time at which we were like, I don't know where the next payroll is going to come from. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this big order that we just got. Because nobody really wants to lend me any money right now because my balance sheet looks not good. But it's it's always that conversation that we can bond over that is the uh, darkest before the dawn thing. And somehow we made it through, and somehow we got you know good people in place to help me grow it. And you know now we're here working in three thousand schools, and it's delightful. But there's always that moment where people. Um, People that are successful have had that moment. It's it's almost universal. So you know, I'm what the next question I'm going to ask you, Tom, is what was your biggest darkest before the dawn moment? Yeah. It, so, um, it, but it, it was the classic. Uh, we, I don't know where the next payroll is going to come from, um, but I got to keep going because I know this is going to work eventually. And it was scraped and scrimped to the point where um, that we just got that one big order that kind of got us over the hump and got us enough capital to be able to uh, to grow the business and bring more people in and really just get over that hump. It was a big order, but you got it. You know, it took it took ten years to get that big order, whereas I thought it was going to be you know a few months. Um, but uh, we made it work. Wonderful. And the other, so I'm going to cheat you because you said three, but I, it related to this last one. 
Um, I, I was, as I said, my, my father's started a number of different businesses and he was interviewed recently. People interview him all the time because he was, he's invented some cool stuff. Um, and one of the things that I'm going to steal from my dad, just because it was so good, he said, the, the question was, how do you know you're an entrepreneur? And how do you know that you can, you have the guts to be an entrepreneur? And he said, you know you're an entrepreneur when you've mortgaged your entire family's future on an idea or a company. You know that it's going to work. I thought that was pretty powerful. That's so powerful. Because so I think we have a, we do have, a, I mean, that's a generalized, but there's many uh, pseudo-entrepreneurs that think that they are, but have they really put it all on the line? All of it. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a special it's a special group. And special kind of crazy. For sure. <laughs> There's no doubt. And my and my father would agree. Yeah. Special kind of crazy. And gosh, I'm certainly <laughs> glad he spe- he, he uh, passed that special kind of crazy on to me. So, Tom, before we move into the lightning round, if someone wants to learn more about Windsor Learning or get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? So you can just search Windsor Learning and and dumbly, this is probably my worst idea, but Windsor is spelled without a D. W- no D. Uh, yep, sorry. W-I-N-S-O-R learning.com. Um, and you can also search Sunday System that is again spelled S-O-N-D-A-Y system. Perfect. All right, moving into our lightning round. What is a book you've read the last five years that you recommend most to others? Yeah, again, I'm going to cheat. There's two really good books. Um, there's a book by Bill Browder named uh, Red Notice. Really cool book. He's a, He was a venture capitalist that really took advantage of the time at which the, the Russian uh, Federation was kind of breaking up and a lot of the uh, companies were becoming uh, sort of, they were, they were deep, they were, privatizing a lot of the enterprises over there. And he figured out a way to make a lot of money, but he got a, a, the attention of a lot of the leadership in the Russian government and was pursued um, because of it. And uh, it was to the point where now these people are messing with him and he figured out a way to mess back. Really good book. You know what? I'll just leave it at that. It's a re- great book. Check okay. it out. All right. What is your favorite app? You might think that I'm kind of a geek for thinking that a business app is a great app. No, but not, I, we, nope, we do not pass judgment here. <laughs> but Zoom is so great. Uh, it's, it's, remember like 10 years ago, people said, oh gosh, you know, you can have a webinar and we're going to have a lot of people get together and do this. Yes. And it's going to be awesome. Well, it wasn't awesome. It was a pain in the butt and everybody was like, I can't get this link to work and all that kind of stuff. Zoom is how webinars should happen and you click on it and it works and we mm-hmm. love it. We use it every day. Yes, we are a big fan too at Core Talent. Tom, what's a fun fact people would never guess about you? You've said that I was humble, but this is not going to be a humble statement. I'm a two handicap. <laughs> well done. And maybe it's I I try not to spend too much time on it, but my wife would say I spend too much time on it. So, when it's the winter time, you take many trips to uh Make sure you get your golf in. No, you know, I like, yes, uh, yeah, I will. I want to see the sunshine once in a while. It's a good way to see the sunshine. But um, I, I like the break. 
Yes. Because then I'm crazy to get it going again in the summertime. Good deal. And what time do you wake up in the morning? I am I am not an early riser. I you can't see what I look like, but I'm I'm a bald man, so I get in the shower and I'm done in about two minutes, and um, I'm up at seven and out the door about twenty minutes later. Oh, jealous. That's just how how I roll. Well, thank you, Tom, so much for being with us here today, and thank you for sharing the story of Windsor. Laura, thanks. It's been very enjoyable. Thanks for joining us on Core Talent Connects. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app and share this episode with a friend or colleague. Hi, I'm Laura King from Core Talent. I'd like to invite you to visit coretalent.com to learn more about how Core Talent accelerates business growth through people. That's C-O-R-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. And if you're interested in having me speak on a panel or at your next event about the evolution of recruiting, modern workplace culture, retention, or employee engagement, please drop me a note at lking at coretalent.com or ping me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.